Hi, this is your host Corbin, and this is your guide for Jeannot Swark's Supergirl. Before we get into the making of the film, allow me to take you back to 1984 to remember the top movies released that year. They were A Nightmare on Elm Street, Amadeus, which would go on to win Best Picture, Gremlins, Once Upon a Time in America, 16 Candles, The Neverending Story, Footloose, The Natural, The Last Starfighter, one of my favorite summer movies, and Firestarter, which is actually getting a kind of a reboot, comes out very soon. I've not seen it, I'm curious about it. And many more great films. 1984 was a powerhouse of great films, and we've reviewed some of these now considered classics, such as Ghostbusters, The Terminator, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, The Karate Kid, Dune, and Star Trek III, The Search for Spock. Links to all of those reviews are in the show notes below. If you'd like to reminisce more about the films of 84, then head over to Letterboxd.com and make sure to follow me and Alan over there. Links to our profiles are below. At the 56th Academy Awards, Best Picture went to Terms of Endearment. Now, if you listen to your guide for Superman 3, you'll know Supergirl was originally slated to make her big screen debut in that film. She would be the adopted daughter of Brainiac and eventually fall in love with Superman. Well, none of that came to fruition since the budget to shoot that film would have been too high and the Salkins figured they could further expand their franchise along with the size of their wallets by giving Supergirl her own movie. Back before there really was such a thing as reboots, you could look at this movie that way. As we talked about last week, Superman 3 was poorly received, so the Salkins saw making a Supergirl movie as a smart way to revitalize the franchise. Of course, Superman was going to star in this movie, at least in a smaller capacity, until Reeve nixed all hopes of himself appearing in the film. Richard Lester was approached to return to direct this film. He directed Super... well... Second unit director Superman 1 took over on Superman 2, fully directed 3. He refused to return for Supergirl. This is, a, I believe, a French name. I, I'm not even sure if I'm pronouncing it correctly whatsoever. Gino Swarks, whose claim to fame was taking over the Jaws franchise from Steven Spielberg. Ironically, Swark had directed Reeve just a few years prior in the film, Somewhere in Time. The two actresses in the running for Supergirl were Demi Moore and Brooke Shields, who were huge actresses at the time. The Salkins hoped to recapture lightning in a bottle, though, by casting an unknown like they did with Reeve, so they signed Helen Slater to a three-picture deal. As you'll come to find out, those uh, other two pictures never materialized, kind of like with uh, Lynch and Kyle MacLachlan in Dune. The Salkins wanted a holiday release date for the film, but Warner Brothers couldn't guarantee the one, especially after the poor performance of Superman 3. Warner Brothers ended up relinquishing the rights to the film, and the Salkins turned those rights over to TriStar Pictures. And they did get their holiday release date. They got a Thanksgiving release date, interestingly enough. This new release date was closer to the first film, Superman the Movie's release date, in December, whereas the other two sequels both came out in June. As we'll talk about later, the franchise would return to that June release date. A new composer came on board for this spinoff installment, none other than Jerry Goldsmith, who actually was Donner's original pick to compose the first film. Joining the newbie actress on screen was Academy Award winning actor Peter O'Toole and actress Faye Dunaway. She had won an Academy Award as well. Ironically, these two would end up with Razzie Award nominations, but lost out to Sylvester Stallone and Bo Derek, respectively. Of course, media tie-ins had to occur. This film, like last time, also received the novelization treatment, along with plenty of other merchandising. 
You know it wouldn't be a Sulkin Superman film if there weren't multiple cuts of the movie. There's the US version at 105 minutes, which is an hour and 45 minutes, a 114 Anchor Bay VHS cut released in 1998, the international cut, which clocks in at two hours and four minutes, which had never before been prior seen in the US. This was released on a limited edition DVD in 2000 for the first time here in the United States anyway. And finally, a 138 minute director's cut, which clocks in at two hours and 18 minutes. What about the TV cut, you ask? That has always been a big thing with the previous Superman movies. Well, in 1987, ABC aired a 92-minute version, which was essentially a pared-down director's cut with some scenes not shown in any other version. The most widely available release you can get is the international cut. It's on HBO Max, plus Warner Archive released the international cut and director's cut in one Blu-ray package. So even though audiences had to wait less than 18 months to get a spinoff from the Superman franchise, it was literally one year, five months, and four days. According to the box office and scores, audiences weren't excited for this one. While it did open number one at the box office Thanksgiving weekend, which is pretty impressive, especially in today's competitive landscape, I'm talking today, not necessarily back then, it still opened with a series low of $5.7 million dollars which is a big drop from the $13.3 million of last week. Now, it did have a smaller budget than last time, a $35 million budget pared down from the $39 million budget of last time, and a steep drop from the $55 million budget of the first two films. These movies just keep going down in budget and opening, and I mean, honestly, we can see why. Surprisingly, the only other movie to go up against it on this long Thanksgiving weekend was Paramount Pictures' Falling in Love, which only grossed $2.2 million, which did star some big names, Robert De Niro and Meryl Streep. I guess audiences just weren't that interested in seeing the movie. It did dethrone the film Missing in Action, which was number one the week prior. That's a Chuck Norris film that actually did pretty well for itself. Coming in at number three was The Terminator, which actually had risen in the box office. Oh God, you devil. No clue in the world what that is. Oh, it's a Warner Brothers George Burns movie. I I have heard of these this franchise before the Oh God franchise. Uh, never seen it though, never probably will. It was actually number two the week prior, dropped to number four, and Night of the Comet. Uh, dropped to number five. I've heard of none of these movies except for Terminator, of course, which we have reviewed. Um, as you can see, it was a pretty slow weekend. So no shock that um, Supergirl won, even though it barely won by about maybe $600,000 it beat Missing in Action. By its second week, though, it had lost 55.5% of its take from last week, only garnering $2.5 million, dropping to number three. So Missing in Action returned to number one. People really love that movie. The Terminator, number two, and then which actually keep rising, and Supergirl was back down to number three. We saw the same thing happen with Superman 3 last week. Uh, word got out that this movie really wasn't any good, and people were like, let's just go see Terminator and Missing in Action again, believe it or not. By its third week, the movie was pretty much sunk, dropping all the way down to number seven, even going lower than Night of the Comet, which was above it. So Beverly Hills Cop, the Eddie Murphy movie, which would become a huge hit, came in at number one, 2010, the year we made contact, the sequel to 2001 A Space Odyssey, number two, and City Heat clocked in at number three. 
Domestically, the movie would go on to gross a total of $14.2 million, which is pretty abysmal, and I would say a complete box office bomb. It didn't even make back half of its budget, not not to even include merchandising rights and all that tie-in stuff. So worldwide total, I mean, this was released in foreign markets. Uh, I don't have the foreign numbers, but it it wasn't enough to, you know, save this series whatsoever, um, especially because Superman 3, even though that did pretty bad as well, it ended up grossing $59.9 million domestically for a worldwide total of around $100 million. Audiences did not give a flying rip about Supergirl, and they really were, their interest was severely waning with Christopher Reeve um, even then. So what are the scores for this film? Well, Letterboxd, almost a series low, 1.9. That's pretty horrible. An IMDb rating of 4.4. It is not the series low. It's second low. It's still pretty horrible. Um, a 41 meta score, uh, which is bad, but it's not as bad as you know you would think. Because Rotten Tomatoes critics, 9% approval rating. That means 91% of critics disapproved of this film. They thought it was rotten. And only 26% of audiences went for this movie. So about a fourth, which is technically more than Superman 3 at 23%. Not by much, though. Thank you, listeners, for coming along with me as I have been your guide to the production and impact of this film. Now that you have your guide to Supergirl, make sure to subscribe to the podcast for my full review coming next Monday. And tune in the week after as we search for the quest for peace. The Silver Screen Guide podcast is edited and produced by Alan and Corbin. Intro and outro music is created by Thomas Rankin. The thoughts and opinions herein expressed are those of the individual and do not necessarily represent those held by Silver Screen Guide. Silver Screen Guide is not affiliated with any company or individual involved with the creation of this movie or TV show. No portion of the podcast may be used without express written permission from Silver Screen Guide.